Great. Uh, I've got two helpers of mine who've got baskets of rope uh, coming. Um, well, there's four helpers. And if you see this basket come past, it would be great if you grab that one, a piece of rope. Um, if you don't know what I'm about to do, hang on to it. Uh, if you are a fiddler, this is going to be awesome. You can listen to my, pretend you're listening to my sermon and fiddle at the same time and twirl and all that kind of stuff. But hang on to it. That would be great. So um, a couple of things. One, I'm quite aware of the time. Uh, it's been wonderful to, for us to, to pause and celebrate what God is doing. Uh, and because of the time and things, uh, there are going to be some things that are going to be cut from the sermon. So you'll just have to bear with me as I do that on the fly. So pray for me. That would be really great. Um, if you're visiting, once again, a very special welcome to you. Uh, it's a real privilege to have you here with us at Canberra Gardens. Uh, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, we say this every Sunday, uh, that we are glad that you're here. Uh, you might be someone who's been burnt by the Christian faith. Uh, you uh, are questioning your own faith in this season in life. We pray that you'll continue to encounter uh, the God of the Bible. And we pray that uh, you will experience that even now as we spend time in his word. Uh, one of the things we as an eldership as we're praying and thinking through about preaching series and next, uh, we, we felt led to do Judges. And for us to really invest into uh, understanding what the book of Judges is about, the best way to do that is to actually travel together as a church family, as a church community. And we want to provide a few ways to do that. So uh, if you are a small group leader, can you please stand up for me? Don't be shy. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just stand up. Stand up. I know there's a few that... Yeah, that's great. Stand up. Great. Uh, who else is this missing? So if you're new to the church and you're wondering, how do I get plugged into a small group? Look to these people here who are standing. They are, you can sit down now. Um, there are those who are, There are some small groups that meet um, at certain times, uh, different places, different age groups. Um, but over a tea and coffee, come and grab them. If you didn't see them, come and see me. I'd love you to uh, direct them to them. One way is to plug into the small group. If you're currently in a small group, and, and your small group might be um, not necessarily following uh, exactly what we're doing at the 10.30am service, can I ask you, if you're a leader of that small group, to prayerfully consider pausing the study that you're doing or mix it up? The reason for that is we as an eldership and leadership want to really travel together as a church family. So we're not asking that you have to do exactly this judge's study book, but we're just prayerfully asking that you might consider mixing it up. Maybe do a little bit of the study guide, maybe uh, a little bit of whatever you might be currently involved in. So maybe uh, pray about that and come and have a chat to me later. One of the things, obviously, is to read or listen and meditate on the book of Judges. And then finally, pray for each other. Pray for those who will be preaching through this series. If you've grown up in the Christian church, I'm guessing uh, the book of Judges is probably not your top ten of reading lists of you know, things that you would go to. Uh, oh, you know, I really want to be encouraged. Let's go to the book of Judges. But I'm saying to you, it is. It's a powerful and encouraging uh, uh, book that God has used. Uh, most probably you've heard certain people or about the certain judges, like Samson usually gets a Guernsey or, or Deborah, quite popular. Uh, at Canterbury Gardens, we believe that all of Scripture is God-breed. And so that includes the book of Judges. And we believe this book is also relevant for us today in 2018. 
For those of us who find things graphic pretty hard to swallow, and there are those of us who have grown up in a generation seeing graphic movies and stuff, it's not a big deal. Judges is pretty full on. There'll be moments where you read and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is in the Bible. There might be questions that arise. Is this the same God that we worship that talks about the God of love? My answer to you is yes, it is the same God. It's the same God who is involved in Israel's life, and it's the same God that's involved in our lives today. And in moments, there'll be times when you're reading and thinking and meditating on judges where you will be confronted. It's like a looking in a mirror and looking at our own lives, both individually but also as a community of believers. As we've already heard, Judges is about a faithful God who's constantly involved in the lives of a messy people. And not only that, he raises judges who are not perfect, which is encouraging because he uses imperfect people for his purposes. So with that in mind, I'm going to show a short video, which is going to come up now, and then I'm going to pray for us. Thanks. Thanks. I just want to say thanks to Josh and Kat for that. Please um, give them a round of applause. (coughs) So I really appreciate what you guys did to serve God in that way. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Judges. We ask now, as we continue this time of worship, that you would minister to us the things that are going on in our hearts and minds that you would settle. We pray that, Lord God, you would be glorified. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Uh, Friends, three things I want us to consider first up. Firstly, I want to kind of lay the scene for us to kind of um, set the agenda for the book of Judges. And then I want us to ponder of what it means to look like they did pretty good as the people of Israel. And then finally, I'll call it Conquest Fail. I'm not sure if you've ever watched a TV series and you've sort of come right into the middle of it or a movie or kind of a, a series of movies. And you come right in the middle of the story and not really sure what's going on. You're sort of asking questions. Oh, did he just say that's his father? And how are they related to each other? That's the Star Wars thing, if you're wondering. And some of us might uh, look at the book of Judges. Something to keep in mind is, I don't know, how many of you have seen The Lord of the Rings? Right, it's a great movie, isn't it? So in The Lord of the Rings, you'll see it, and you'll see there's a bunch of things happening in a bunch of realms and kingdoms, but they're all connected into this one big storyline. And that's what you're going to find in the book of Judges. Lots of things happening throughout the different kingdoms, but God is doing his work. And this is what's happening in the background. So to kind of set the scene for us, to remember that the book of Judges is right in the middle. On one side, you've got the story of God rescuing a people of Israel from slavery. He sets up rules and regulations, what they call covenants, that they should follow to say that they belong to him. They are people that are separate, unlike the people around them, to show that they belong and, uh, and worship the God of the Bible, God of Yahweh. So that's people like Moses and Joshua, these men who led this people. And then you have Judges, and then from next, on the other side, you have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and that's when the monarchy begins. That's when the King David lineage begins. This is all of this uh, stuff in regards to the Bible storyline. And right in the middle is this chaotic book called Judges setting the scene. 
So Judges chapter 1, verse 1, begins with these lines. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So in this moment, we get an idea of where this whole storyline begins. Joshua has passed. He's died. And there is no significant leader stepping up. Joshua was a significant leader in the Old Testament. He was the man that brought the people up to the promised land. And God gives him the promise that saying, wherever you put your feet, I'm going to give that to you. There's actually this wonderful verse to give you a bit of a character of who Joshua is. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. This is giving this picture that Moses had passed his leadership on to Joshua, and they were given a command to both follow Joshua's leadership, and Joshua was going to point the people back to God, and he constantly reminded them of that. So in this moment, it seems like Joshua passes away and there's not necessarily a significant leader that sort of stepped up to follow behind him. Throughout Judges, you'll see this line that you would have seen in that video. In the time of the Judges, there was no king and everyone did what was pleasing according to their own heart. See, despite of the death of Joshua, though, there was someone who was leading the people of Israel. That is, their God. The one who's always been their supreme leader. The one who's always been their supreme king. In Judges chapter 1, they come up to God. And they say, hey, what shall we do? Who, are we, who, who shall go up? Who's going to lead us? Who's going to take the leadership? Who's going to go and fight against them? So they do inquire of the Lord, which is a good thing. And God instructs them. And for verses 1 to 10, it's like if you had Facebook Live at that time. From verses 1 to 10, it says Facebook Live production of the battles that ensue on the taking of the land. Well, here's a few things to keep in mind as you see how God says, Judah's going to step up. Judah's going to do the battle. I'm going to give it to Judah. There's a few things we need to observe. Firstly, the big idea is they inquired of God because God is the one who knows best. God is the one who knows exactly what needs to happen. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who leads. Although there was no leader, the people of Israel didn't have to feel abandoned because there was their God who was always with them, has continuously been with them. So God says, go to Judah, this tribe, this tribe that I have chosen. And in verse 4 it says, And Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. Judah comes in, takes leadership as a tribe. There's no Joshua, but there is God who's leading, and God is directing their steps. Now you have this name that comes up, the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah is fairly significant in the Old Testament. 
Uh, it's up here on the screen. I've got a verse for you from Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 to 10. It says, Judah, your brother shall praise you, and your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched down as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, and the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. What we're seeing is this lineage of Judah now. All of a sudden, God is saying, Here, Judah, this tribe is going to go before, will lead, and I'm going to give them the land. But notice, though, as God is doing his work in the background, is giving instruction. Notice in the verses from verses 1 to 10, it's ultimately not the strategies as such that gives Israel the land. It's actually about God and his promises. So if you want to use biblical language, God is keeping up what he said he would do. It's his covenant promise. Now, as you read this, it's going to be very easy to kind of skim over some of these things. And this is where a lot of debates and arguments are going on on which direction, when did they start being a, a nation that all of a sudden stopped listening to God. But see, here's the thing, right? When God says something, like Judah shall go up, behold, I have given the land into his hand, those are instructions from God to say, Judah is the one who's going to do the work. But straight away you see this sort of thing happening. Where Judah goes up and military wise he's doing not necessarily a bad thing. He asks his brother, his other tribe to come and help him. And they join in him. But it's this idea of uh, slightly, not really listening fully to the instructions of what God actually says. There's lines of how they go up against certain people and their chariots are so strong, they can't do it. But in some sense, there's this language of they're not really trusting in God who says, I will do it. Things start shifting very slightly, slowly. See, faithlessness is not necessarily believing that you don't believe in God. It's ultimately saying, I'm not trusting in God and his word. In many ways, it's like saying, hey, the challenges are in front of me, uh, but look, let me do a few things to do this in my own strength, in my own way. Or maybe opposition comes, and maybe we should just give up. This is the kind of lineage that's starting to happen now in the story of Judges. And if you're wondering what's going on, well, what has that got to do with me today in 2018? Here's some things to consider. Firstly, as you decide to do things, whether if it's for God or moving forward, if you are a follower of God, do you actually inquire of, the God, of God at all? Do you inquire of his word? Do you inquire of what his word actually says? Or do we... Tempted to kind of do the whole micromanage thing. God, I know you're God of the universe, but let me, let, me, let me take care of it a little bit. Or maybe we just inquire of God and his word in those moments, like Sundays and small group. Or when crisis happens. Some of us maybe don't even inquire of God 
except when we gave our life to him in faith. And the Bible and his word in particular has just become something that we bring on Sundays. The question is, do we inquire of him? Do we trust him at his word? In the book of Judges, you're starting to see this idea of just compromise bit by bit. And it's confronting. Recently, I was invited with a bunch of Christian leaders from Melbourne uh, and throughout the state to meet with some political leaders uh, of, uh, from the federal government. And as I sat in this room, there were Christian people, Christian politicians, sharing about uh, this debate about freedom of speech and particularly freedom of religion and the debates that are going on. And I've got to confess to you, although it was quite informative, I think they were doing the whole kind of scare thing. I don't, I don't know if, it, if you've heard it. You know when you go somewhere, it's really bad and it's all bad and it's all bad and you see they go, <gasps> Now, I know what they were trying to do is to say, hey, just be aware, this is what's going on. But my flesh was standing there going, Ooh, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Are they going to come and take our church property? Are they going to, am I going to lose my job? Uh, does that mean I can't even talk about Jesus with my neighbor? And I started going through all this stuff. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. But in that room, I'm sitting there going, <gasps> and as you know, the person says, oh, you know, I hope that was informative. I'm like, yeah, that was really not helpful. But anyway, thank you. I walked to the, to the lift. And I had this thought that came into my mind. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prosper. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. That's normal. And the gospel continues to grow. In that moment, I did not trust my God and his word as he said that he will build his church. Maybe there are other things going on in your life right now that the thought of his word and trust, yeah, you know it theologically, but in your heart, it's almost that you want to micromanage it. There are sermons in our culture that are drowning out the truth of what his word says. Maybe sometimes we think God needs our help. It's like that picture when my kids come up to me and see me carrying something heavy. They come and say, hey, Dad, can I help you? It's very kind of them. They're not really helping. And I think sometimes we put that to God. God, can I come and help you? The creator of the universe. And in his grace, he says, sure. Friends, God is the faithful one who always keeps his word. Right there in that moment in the book of Judges, You have this little mini story, almost seems a bit slide, but the author is saying from verse 11 where he talks about this marriage that happens. In verse 11, he talks about this marriage that happens between a couple. It's a wonderful thing, really. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kithrosifer and captures it, I will give him Ashel, my daughter, for a wife. Someone steps up, I need a wife. I will go into battle. He gets a good prize at the end, in that sense. He gets a wife out of it. She's a wonderful wife. And she says, well, give me some land. Not only that, give me the springs. There's a lot of stuff in there which I would encourage you to take time to go through it. But at the end of the day, what the author is trying to say, here we have this picture 
of people who are significant characters in the Old Testament, people who are faithful to God. And now they're actually, in some sense, experiencing the spoils of God's promises, his covenant promises, as they enjoy the springs and the land that God provided for them. God is the one who provides. God is the one you can trust in his word. What he says will happen. But before you know it, in verses 27 onwards to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, in particular, starting in verse 7, you start seeing the cycle to begin in the book of Judges. They did not drive out. Verse 28, they get slaves. Verse 29, they did not drive out. Verse 30, did not drive out. Verse 39, 31, did not drive out. Now, when the Bible keeps on repeating itself, it's trying to make a point. They're not doing what God asked them to do. And they're not driving out. So the nation does inquire of the Lord. God gives them instructions. But then they start sort of compromising. And in short, what they're doing is they do not drive out and it ends up being the big issue throughout all of the book of Judges. In some sense, what they're doing is they're compromising. They don't believe and trust in God's word and they start compromising in, uh, in accordance and obeying his word. They compromise. In some sense, using Christian terminology nowadays, compromising in their faith, little by little. And then the judgment comes. The judgment from God himself in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bachem, and he said, I bought you from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, and you shall break down the altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is it that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of the place Bachem, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. In some sense, if you're using the biblical language, here's a judgment. The first judge arrives. It is the angel of the Lord the angel of the Lord will come again later in Judges, and we'll unpack that later on. But in this moment, there's judgment that has come. There's a reminder. Hey, do you remember who I am? I'm the God who rescued you from slavery. I'm the one who promised you all these things. This land, I promised you. And I said to you, I will never break my covenant with you. But you have broken my covenant. He's, God says, I will, never keep, I will always keep my promises. But you have not kept my promises, your promises. And what you've done is you've made agreements or covenants with those, the nation where I've told you to drive them out. They've done this by having slaves. And there's a story in chapter 1 where spies go up and they say to the guys, hey, listen, uh, we want to see what's going on and we'll spare you. But the language in the Hebrew language, is, the language of said is to say, I'm making a covenant with you. It's the same language the author is saying. It's the kind of language that God's made that covenant with us. We don't need this. We don't make covenants with our enemies. 
So in this picture is given, there's only one who has truly crept his promise, his covenant. The one who is the faithful God. And did you hear what God says? The angel of the Lord says. Does he say to them, hey, but you have not obeyed by what? By not keeping my covenant as such? Does he say, oh, you haven't done all my rituals and my practices like I said? What does he say? He said, you have not heard my, you've not listened to my voice. You've not listened to my voice. You've not, you've ignored my word. There are consequences for your actions. Your enemies will not be gone. And you'll see that through all judges. They'll be like a thorn on your side, constantly both bringing you pain and annoyance. And not only that, those gods that they worship will now entrap you and entangle you like a rope entangling your life. And the deepest issue here in the moment is that the people of Israel are not trusting God and his word. They're not listening to his word and then compromise begins. Friends, it's very easy for you and I to roll our eyes at people like the people of Israel. But compromise is very subtle. It's like when you and I get that little chip on your windscreen of your car, over time slowly just spreads and destroys it all. Here in this moment, the people choose not to listen to his word and trust his word. They begin to compromise. Compromise in our faith can become subtle. See, this is why God takes sin so seriously. Because he knows the fruit of that, what will happen. Because it will ultimately break your relationship with God and it will lead to destruction. And the language is saying compromise is saying you're snaring, you're getting trapped. So the question for you and I even today is whose word are we listening to? Or using the language in the, the angel's judgment, whose voice are you listening to? God and his word? Are there compromises happening in your life, in my life? In the kind of partnerships you're making at work? Whether at home, maybe even at school, at at work, in your season that you're in. Is there compromise happening? You know what God says and his word. But, you know, we're under grace. We'll We'll just go this way a little bit. It's just a little bit. It's not a big deal, is it? It's not a big deal. Slowly, it erodes away. Do you remember the churches in Revelation? It's not like one day the church of Ephesus woke up and said, oh, we'll be known as the church that has lost its first love. It happened subtly. It's not like one day, as the eldership talked about vision planning, the other church said, oh, we'll be in the church that's known as the lukewarm church. Slowly and subtly, compromise happens, and that is happening even today. Over and over again, here, even in our own country, denominations and churches who choose to compromise on God and his gospel so that they can fit into the culture. And the gospel and his word becomes watered down. Friends, the temptation to compromise will not end on this side of eternity. What hope is there, though? What hope is there for you and I? 
Where do we head to when temptation does come to compromise? Who do we listen to when we are called to compromise in our gospel faith? And maybe you're sitting here going, oh, I've dropped the ball over and over again. There's this wonderful line, but it shows God's grace and his provision in these verses. The angel brings judgment. The people of Israel weep and they offer a sacrifice. God's own act of calling them out with their sin is his act of grace. He can destroy this nation. He can say, I'm done with you. No, but because he's the God who keeps his promises and covenants, and when he brings, starts a relationship, he's not going to just cut it off. He says, there is judgment. There is a need for a sacrifice. Isn't it wonderful that judges doesn't stop? That's all we have. We have the whole Bible and the whole counsel of God. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, The Apostle John is weeping, wondering who's going to open this, who's worthy enough to open this seal. And the elders say to him, in Revelation 5, 5, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Out of this tribe of Judah, the one that God initially chooses, eventually there is this line constantly, there is no king the whole point is there will no, there's no king. And they, they, out of the line of David would come a greater king. His name is Jesus, who did not compromise to his father's instructions, who perfectly lived on your behalf and my behalf. And then he himself becomes the sacrifice for our actions, for our sin. And he dies on the cross. And this means... On this side of the cross in the empty tomb, that if you believe in the good news of Jesus, you and I are still called not to compromise in our faith, but to live for him. Because, friends, there is a day that the king, the true judge, will return. And on that day, there will be much weeping. But until he returns, he's called you and I, to share this good news to those who are under the judgment of a mighty and holy God. And friends, for those of us who know Jesus, sin is a big deal. The slight compromise is a big deal. Because if you say that you belong to Jesus, you and I are called to say, no, I can't compromise. I belong to him. There is a king. I can't just do whatever I want. The king has authority over my life. Martin Luther, when he nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Castle, said, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ will the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. It sounds quite bleak when you read it. But at the heart of it, he's, what he's saying is, if you want to know if you're growing in knowing Jesus more, Your life will be marked by constant asking God, where have I dropped the ball? Forgiveness and moving on because we do have Christ. He has paid for our sins. So, this morning, you have received a little rope. I have a question for you right now. 
as you hold that rope, whose voice are you listening to? Are your decisions formed by God and his word? Or is it formed by your own personal desires or the constant call by the culture? Maybe you already know that right now you're entangled. You have compromised. Maybe you're the one who knows you are right now entangled so bad you're not even sure how you're going to be rescued. Well, friends, I have good news for you. There is one, his name is Jesus Christ, who came into this world, became entangled with your sin and my sin, to die on the cross. But would it be terrible if it finished there? On the third day, he rose again. And because of that, you and I can come to the cross every day with all our entanglements and say, Lord, please forgive me. This is the good news of the gospel. Then you and I are called to live a life uncompromised for his glory as his people in a world that will constantly call us to compromise. But as we live for him, they will see Jesus in us and give glory to him. And let's be a people in such a way. So friends, as we sing this last song, as we wrap up this time together, whether during the song or maybe after the service, maybe come and grab this rope and bring it to the cross here and just lay it on the, on the foot of the cross as a way of you saying, as a symbolic way of just saying, Lord, I give this to you. Maybe you're someone who's not, I'm not sure if I'm there yet, Shaburu, but I would love to talk about it. Talk about it with your small group leader. Maybe come and chat to us after the service. We'd love to pray for you. Let's praise and worship our great King who has been the wonderful judge. And in him we can hope and rest.